1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as a February room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite developments, fly rods, and fishing accessories. Tech. Precision. Ingenuity. Legacy. Go to cdfishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Here's your host, Lauren Carnop, and this is The February Room.
2: Welcome to The February Room. Today, my guest is Chef PJ Burgess, also known as a Sundress Chef. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And PJ, I have to say, the Sundress Chef is such a beautiful name, because if you go to your website, you have a long dress, you're very tall. How tall are you? Six foot. Six foot tall, and you have had an amazing past of cooking for these fishing lodges. And I know you've had a lot of opportunity to have fishing stories and also being the liaison between lodge owners and guides. And I bet you have some fishing stories that you could share with me today.
3: Okay. Um, well, one of the first stories that I wrote, and I wrote these stories because working at a lodge um, straight for, for five months at a time and being what I call shackled to the kitchen. Um, I didn't get to, to leave very often. Um, one stretch, I worked um, for seven weeks without a day off, 14 hour days. And I had never really written anything before and so I thought, I'm going to try my hand at creative writing. And so that's what I would do when I was winding down, when I was off work at 10 o'clock at night. And, and so this uh, first story is, one of the first stories that I wrote is called uh, Used Fish Salesman. And the reason is because the guides have, for the most part, they have a Plus personalities, you know, they have to, they have to entertain the clients while they're rowing down the river and they've got to be gung ho. And so, um, and so they have that. I just worked that personality into the, the story. So it's like used car salesman, what do we have to do to get you into some used fish today? <laughs> um, because the fish are catch and release. <laughs> so like used cars. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, you know, the majority of guides that I had the pleasure of working around, except for very rare exceptions, had very personable and enthusiastic A-type personalities. It, just goes with the territory for, as I jokingly call them, catch and release used fish salesmen. Um, I could just picture, I have, I have a, a boundless imagination, I guess you could say, for the culinary <laughs> arts, but then also for storytelling. And I could picture in my mind's eye these river Reeler dealers, as I call them, in front of their drift boats pitching the phrase, what will it take to get you into some used fish today? Fishing guides really love what they do, and they demonstrate it every day with their enthusiastic attitude, no matter what the weather. A fishing guide's day does not begin when they launch on the river, nor end after delivering clients back to the lodge. They must clean out their boat and vehicle, check equipment, prepare and... Pack river lunches, match the day's hatch from their stash of hand tied flies. They're the ultimate multitaskers. For their client's safety, they must be experts at rowing and reading ever changing water conditions. They often spend a good part of the day dodging back cast hooks, switching out flies, and untangling birds' nests of leader tangled by novice or weekend fly fishers. And my days as a chef were equally long and filled with culinary multitasking from dawn until well past dark. It was my job to wow guests with my culinary talents. And this I did more for the pleasure of pleasing than for money. Most lodge clients spent more for their once or twice yearly fly fishing vacations than I made in an entire five-month season. But at this time you know, I'm doing more of of what I love rather than working on selling my dreams with my seasonings than selling
2: somebody else's dreams. I love PJ that you have this great admiration for fishing guides, as well as understanding that what their jobs are is like a lot more than just getting people on fish. You know, they're, whining and dining, and um, like you said, kind of that sales, used car salesman's personality. Um, a lot of people are probably curious, why do you call yourself the sundress chef?
3: Well, the first lodge that I um, worked at way back in um, 2009, when I, as I jokingly say, I ran away from home to join the fly fishing circuit. It ha- it just had solar fed batteries and a backup propane generator and no air conditioning. And 2009 was a a hot summer. And so I started wearing sundresses and it was a laid back place anyway. So I started wearing sundresses and that kind of (laughs) carried over to the next lodge where I worked, which I was the executive chef there and um so i would take and go out and greet the clients as they came in with appetizers when they came off the river and then um, i would quickly change my clothes after i get out the four course dinners i would quickly change my clothes into a sundress and i would come out and serve the first dessert plate and and usually I would have, you know, they would ask questions about the meal. And so I, you know, I would answer questions and then I would maybe, you know, say something about Montana or crack a joke or something like that. So I'll, I'll give you an instance of a joke that I told. So <laughs> this fly fishing lodge it had um, a rather large fly shop and he the owner bragged about his like I think it was like 2,000 bins of, of flies and so so I would I would serve the dessert plate and then talk about the food and then I said okay this lodge if you if you've been there has a fly shop with 3,000 bins of flies and that's bins of flies so we're talking probably hundreds of thousands of flies but no real kill they were, no real killer fly as the guides would call them like the scud missile fly or the the spinner bomber fly <laughs> and and so uh, that's kind of what I would do. I would just I would take uh, different uh, things that I observed
2: as being funny and and get the clients laughing. Oh gosh, I mean, your job was probably just as much as work as trying to be a fishing guide. Like you got to keep your clientele happy, and that's with your food and personality. So, a fishing lodge chef what separates you from being a chef, say in a different restaurant? Like what is the unique thing of being a fishing lodge chef?
3: Well, the unique thing for me, I mean, not all fishing lodge chefs would do this. Some of them would just, you know, they just wanted to do their cooking things, stay in the back, not interact. And with with me, um, I loved working in the fly fishing lodges because I got to interact. I wasn't stuck in the back of the kitchen. And um, I, I just loved going out and talking, uh, visiting during happy hour. I had one occasion where um, where I went up to this, uh, this uh, blonde uh gentleman and he put out his hand and he said hi i'm barry i'm a psychologist and i said (laughs) oh nice to meet you barry um i'm wondering you're a psychologist i was wondering if you could do something about my restless mind syndrome (laughs) and and he (laughs) says restless mind syndrome what's that and I said, well, it's like restless legs, only it's your brain is running a marathon in your head. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and I turned around to, a, oh, he, he, he laughed. He put his head back and, and, and laughed. And, and I walked away, and then I got to thinking, you know what? He's never heard of restless mind syndrome because I made it up. I hope he doesn't write uh, a best-selling novel using my self-diagnosis and make (laughs) a bazillion dollars
2: off of it. But maybe he can start curing it, right? Or maybe it's a good thing not to cure. I think as a chef, you're constantly having to explore new recipes. um, And I'm curious, is there a recipe for you that was always a hit at those lodges?
3: Oh, there were there were quite a few uh, that were a hit. Probably my hot bourbon steak was one. Um, my dishes. What I did was I created this uh, crescendo, like jaws. You build up like frenzy, like a fish feeding frenzy. So yes. So when clients would come in, I had an order of which did I present a dishes. So the the first night would be really easy. It would be like my citrus stuffed game hen because chicken's safe. Most people eat it, you'd always have a backup but it's a safe one to start. And, and then each dish would become just better. I rarely ever I rarely ever used any recipes. They're all my own. Either I invented them or I took something and changed it because I would often say, I can never leave well enough alone. <laughs> I have to <laughs> put my own twist on it, like frac- the old fractured fairy tales. I'm fracturing the standard culinary methods and recipes and making up my own.
2: Well, I think that you call it, is it Southwest meets Northwest, right? Is your kind of style of cooking? Northwest meets
3: Southwest infusion cuisine. I take the the ingredients from the Northwest and my love for Southwestern food and my many, many trips to Mexico
2: and, and combine that we used your, um, the, the rub for our elk. And I think what's so great about your seasonings is that it complements like Montana. It, it tastes like Montana. You're not taking away from the food itself. Like you're honoring the meat or you're honoring the fish and you're, you're just accelerating those taste buds to complement the meat. And I think that's such a unique taste because sometimes I feel like people who cook wild game tend to just like unload so much stuff that it loses it's the genuine taste of it and i just thought that was such a good compliment for that for our dish uh for dinner it was ins- it was so incredible i think we put like mashed potatoes it was it was your chew montana elk meat and potatoes and veggies <laughs> <laughs> my seasonings i made them all
3: natural on purpose um not even uh Uh, Not even any sodium dioxide to keep it from caking. I used raw sugar rather than brown sugar. Brown sugar is usually used in rubs, but then you have to add sodium dioxide, which is really super, 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 finely ground glass
2: i didn't know that i don't want to be i do not want to be eating glass with my my elf i'll have a glass of wine but i don't want the glass in my food well it's
3: (laughs) it's like silica though silica is a natural a compound that's that's basically the same thing that that we have to have in our bodies but i wanted my seasonings to be all natural and then um Like the, um, and, and I called them Montana gold seasonings. Why Montana gold? Well, that's what brought a lot of people, you know, the first settlers to Montana, other than for trading was, um, was to work in the mines, gold mines, copper mines. And I wanted them to be worth their weight in gold, I guess. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Um, for instance, the the summer savory, which is a lighter seasoning, it has um, savory in it, which is rarely, rarely used. It has a, a unique flavor, but then it also has um, ground Mexican oregano. I use Mexican oregano instead of your standard oregano almost exclusively because I think it has a better taste and it's not really... Oregano, it's in the family of uh, marjoram, rather than oregano, but it it just it has a um, a more uh, intense flavor, and so I use it in my sauces. One of the one of the sauces that I receive a lot of applause over was my uh, huckleberry meat sauce, who, which uh, is made with the rub and seasoning that you used on the elk. So it's, it's more savory than sweet, and it really makes wild game taste outstanding. And, and how I came up with with that was I was reading about the Native Americans, and they would take berries And pound them into the buffalo meat or elk meat or venison, and then hang them over the wood smoke to make jerky out of it. And that way they kept from getting scurvy because of the vitamin C in the berries. And then it would also have the meat taste better.
2: Wow, I had no idea. That is such an amazing, interesting, and great concept. Did you use fresh huckleberries? Um, I used, yes, I, I used
3: fresh, but, um, but you can also use huckleberry jam, which is what I put
2: on the recipe on the back of the package. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I I would love to do that, but huckleberry season is now gone. Um, now it's, we're in Thanksgiving and I bet you um, for me, I was so excited to talk to you. Cause I'm like, I want to know what a chef from Montana, who has a fishing lodge, what would be the best Thanksgiving food set up for a fishing lodge, Chef?
3: Well, as far as, as turkey goes, you could bake a turkey and slice it and put the huckleberry meat sauce on it. But you could also use game hen. I use game hen a lot just because you could take and bake them whole and you could serve a whole game hen to someone with more of an appetite and then half it and serve it, you know, to someone with less of an appetite. And your flavors are stronger. As far as side dishes, um, what I would make in st- often and you it would carry over into the guide lunches was um, I would take sweet potatoes or yams and I would mm. season them with, with the steak rub and grill them off. And then I would take corn and um, I like to use the canned corn and drain it. And then I would take and grill the corn in a pan and put the seasoning on that as well. Um, And then uh, cool it off and and add um, onion and celery and um, it makes a, a very unique Thanksgiving day dish.
2: Oh my gosh. That sounds so incredible. I mean, I even saw your, like on your blog, your, for the dessert. I'm like, I really want to do the Montana mudslide. That looks incredible. And I, w- I would
3: like to come make it for you sometime.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be, I just need to have you come to my place for Thanksgiving and cooking. Cause you know, my husband's going to go um bird hunting next weekend so i'm like i was just like thinking and like things are going in my brain i'm like oh, okay we're gonna do we're gonna do the hen thing i'm gonna do the side dish and then i'm gonna do this mud montana mud slide dessert right now i'm actually just thinking about it i'm like getting pretty hungry but um yeah what a great way that your mind your restless mind is working in there it's a special treat well here's
3: something that's really simple to do for um for thanksgiving and I came about it by accident, which is its kind of how <laughs> it happens. But I was making pumpkin pie. And so I had a lot of the, the pumpkin batter left over. I thought, what am I gonna do with this? And so I, I took um, a box of cornbread mix and just added that to the pumpkin batter and put it in a pan and baked it and it it's cornbread that doesn't fall apart it has a a pumpkin flavor it's extremely moist and then what i would do was i would put um, real maple syrup on top so it's soaked in a little and then sprinkle pumpkin seeds on top of it
2: this sounds like a delicious breakfast like with coffee or
3: it's good any any time i mean you can it's more Cake-like, then um, it, you just add add less of the mix and have it be more like cake batter rather than cornbread batter. And it's more cake-like. And so for dessert one time, I split it in half, and um, I filled the, the center with marshmallow cream with nutmeg in it.
2: Ugh. My gosh. I honestly, I just feel like my stomach is growling just listening to this. It sounds so good. Um, I know we talked about like how you had to like prep for the guides so they can go out and feed their clients. Did a guide ever have a crazy story being on the river?
3: Um, yeah, I wrote about one. <laughs> and I, enti- I, I entitled it the, the Great Egg-On-My-Face River Disaster of 2010. (laughs) And for river lunches, I would hard-boil three or four dozen eggs at a time. I put the cooked eggs on a shelf above the raw eggs in the walk-in cooler. In the mornings, I would take the hard-boiled eggs from the shelf and put them in two serving bowls, a small bowl on the table in the guide's room for their buffet lunch and a larger bowl out on the dining room buffet table for guests. And every evening around 7 p.m., um, the guides would return their lunch containers, uh, drop them off into the kitchen. And one evening, the first guy, guide came in and he said with this, with a smile, I thought some, someday someone would do this to me. And I asked what happened. And he said, um, I went to crack my hard boiled egg on my leg and ended up with egg <laughs> running down my pants. I timidly raised <laughs> my hand and, and and said, "Um, I guess that someone would be me." <laughs> Luckily, good sense of humor and I said, "Well, I guess the yoke is definitely on me." <laughs> Which she laughed and, and I said, "Um, then I said, "Oh my gosh, I I wonder if any of the other guides got egged and And sure enough, the next guide that that came in, I asked him, did you get any raw eggs in your boat? And he replied, well, the clients didn't, but I did. Luckily, it broke in my lunch bag. Unluckily, it was in my in with my sandwich. (laughs) I apologized again. And and this went on for a couple of more guides. And I, I was kind of nervous because the owner was very, I'll say, stern. But that night at the at the table, the the stories, uh, the, it had the it had the clients laughing. None of the none of the guests got egged. Theirs came from the buffet table with that with the hard boiled eggs. They, they said, we were laughing so hard, we were almost falling out of the boats, <laughs> the, the clients were saying. And it was so funny around the table that the owner didn't say a word to me.
2: Oh, man. See, I mean, I feel like anybody in any of their professions, whether it's cooking as a guide, having experiences where you've just didn't do something, what you're supposed to do. And the like that stomach pit feeling. I mean, I've been there so many times where I've done something. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am beyond sweaty and nervous, but I'm happy that yours turned out on the happier end as opposed to um, on the more stern side of everything. Well, actually, it gave me the inspiration
3: for um, coming up with a with an idea um, for the the river uh, for the boats on the river, which was I took my salsa recipe, which is on back the salsa package. I call it poor man's salsa because it doesn't uh, it requires uh, canned tomatoes, and it turns out it tastes really good. But I made an aspect out of the salsa, and then I took the hard-boiled egg, peeled it, cut it in half, I I filled the little glad cups with the salsa with hard-boiled egg in it, and then put sour cream with cilantro and sunflower seed uh, pesto in it on top, covered the lid, and it worked out really well. There's no no peels in the bowl there's no egg egg smell. And so everybody's happy.
2: Well, see, something good came out of that mistake. I love it. I think it's so great that you took a a learning moment to make it into even a more positive moment. Um, You have a website. So if anybody's even interested in these seasonings, which you should, the holidays are coming up. It's time to roll up those sleeves. It's COVID. You can start expanding your chef um, expertise, but you also are Offering classes in Eureka, Montana, so maybe you want to get away. Um, can you give a little bit more information about these classes?
3: With so many um, people, um, their hectic, crazy lives over the last couple of decades, they don't cook at home at home as much. A lot of them are not learning because their you know their their parents aren't. Aren't cooking. It's uh, it's it's fast food. It's um, and so my classes are. I call them simply gourmet cooking classes. It's ironic that there's such a tremendous growth in um, in the foodies and gourmet cooking on TV, but but not so much. I don't think in in the homes. And the word "gourmet" may be daunting to some, but it's not daunting when it's broken down into cooking basics, and that's what this course will be and it'll be from for everyone starting from um novice, um I'm thinking twelve years old up to um you know anyone that, that would like to learn gourmet cooking techniques which will include prepping skills, grilling and broiling, steaming, sauteing, frying, braising, roasting. And these are all, all the essential cooking skills that, that are done in different ways, but the same basic thing, the world over. And so, and then also I put my own twist on everything like I do with my recipes. And so, you know, um, I still keep some of the ingredients, you know, um, salt, butter, eggs, cream, yet the focus is on moderation. The great chefs of today have not abandoned the use of these ingredients, but instead have put more focus into incorporating the use of herbs, spices, natural flavoring agents uh, for healthier substitutes. And so that's, that's what I do. Um, with my Huckleberry meat sauce, it's wine-based, the alcohol cooks out. So, you know, that shouldn't affect anybody that that's not a drinker. And so the Huckleberry wine sauce has, has no fat. It's very rich without having, having any type of fat in it. Um, and just basic cooking sauce sauces i'll have i'll have um two versions i'll have a healthier alternative and then the rich and decadent because you know most people don't stick to diets because they miss all the decadent
2: treats well you can make even decadent treats healthier i feel that a lot of people during COVID are eating a lot. There's the presidential election is having people stress eat, so I think it's great to be able to have quality food without the sacrifice of maybe your waistline.
3: <laughs> right, and and more people are eating at home now. Um, but it's not only the cooking classes that I'll be doing. It's um, I, there'll be it'll be a menu. Two as well so at the end of the the three hours of demonstrations then um everybody will sit down to a um, three or four course dinner and actually get to eat the food
2: I think the one thing that people can probably really connect with is food. And I think it's so great that you're offering these services and, um, just, I think it's great, especially with the holidays coming up. I think people start to scratch their heads and, you know, it's like, oh, we do the same thing every time. So I think these are great options. And I also want to say if people want to, um, learn more about who you are, maybe want to buy some seasonings or maybe just look at some of your blogs with the recipes, what's the best method of them researching? out to you.
3: Well,' it's, it's easy. My website for the seasonings is just sundresschef.com. Up in the right hand corner is blog a button a blog button. Click on the blog button and that will uh, take you to recipes and stories from the lodges. I'm going to be adding more recipes here this winter. I do most of my writing in the, in the winter.
2: I think I'm going to have a request that I want the recipe for that pumpkin uh, pie cornbread. <laughs> <I> will, <laughs> that one sounds yeah, incredible. It, I'll, be putting, yes. I'll
3: be putting it on the website, but I can certainly email that to you. Another idea for uh, Thanksgiving that I, uh, I do is I take acorn squash and I half it, clean the seeds out, bake it so it's about halfway done and then make up, um, corn, make up cornbread batter, and you can do this from box or scratch, and then put it in the half-baked squash shells and bake it, and then you have your cornbread in. It makes a great presentation. You just cut the halves in quarters and put them on the plate, and oh. it makes a, a great side dish.
2: Brilliant! Because I always feel like there's like sometimes those squashes. You're just like, what? What else could I do with this? And it's always like, is it just a decoration piece? I mean, you can only do so much. So what a great way to think out of the box! I love the acorn squash. I'm gonna try that. Um, I also recommend people who are listening and want to kind of follow you. um, You do have an Instagram uh, account, and that is is, it's Sundress Chef, correct? Yes.
3: I think it's Sundress Lodge Chef. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think
2: it's. Yep. Sundress Lodge Chef. And um, yeah, and I just appreciate you telling me your stories because you do have plenty of history of being in Montana with your family here. I recommend looking at your blog, reading it, and um, I'm looking forward to continue on my chef um, experience with your seasonings. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. What fun.